Section 6. Zero Defects. Infinite Bugs. When it came time to write my first performance review, it simply read, Attended ADC. And looking forward, my only goal was to make ET++ work. The following is an excerpt from my performance review. Date, September 27th, 1989. RE, midterm review, starting July 10th, 1989. Work completed. My work in ADC consisted of following the standard format. For the first three weeks, I worked on initial orientation, getting my feet wet, and their memory manager project. The second phase of ADC was debugging and extension of the Doug K B-tree package. This lasted approximately four weeks. During this phase, I spent a fair amount of time exploring the system and using many of the retail packages we sell. This was important to me since prior to starting, I had not used a PC for several years. The final phase of ADC consisted of exploring the ins and outs of DDE. I reviewed the DDE code for Excel, Opus, and Omega. I used EdF's FISH program and the stock market server as testbed servers for work under Win2 and Win3. I wrote several macros to control the submarines, or FISH, in Excel and Opus's EB. Time did not permit experimenting with Omega. My tour in ADC was completed on September 18, 1989. I was nervous about writing my review, so I shot off an email to Melissa Birch, Melissa B., asking for some tips. She was on the Word team, which was in the very final stages of shipping the original version of Word for Windows 1.0, codename Opus, and another long and late project. She graduated from Brown University in 1987, the same year I graduated from Cornell. Melissa was tall, polite, and formal. We shared the East Coast rhythm and sensibilities. Melissa was an astute engineer tuned into the challenges of making projects work. I knew she could help. Thanks to fellow apps tools developer, Kirk Glarum, email Kirk G, I made my way through the gauntlet of a seemingly clicky lunchroom of regular tables seated at a table with Melissa B, Kirk G, Dwayne Campbell, and Jody Green, email Jody G, and many others on the Word dev team. Kirk was a hacker's hacker. He spelled his name Glarum with the A-E ligature, which wasn't spelled that way by the facility's name changers, and was quite a trick to type on U.S. English keyboards and DOS, in reference to his family's Nordic heritage. Kirk G. was as northwest as one could get. He was the first to inform me that I was no longer allowed to use an umbrella. He grew up in Oregon. He attended the University of Washington and was a diehard Husky fan right down to his purple converse. When meeting people... Where someone went to college was often the first fact softies revealed, since so many of us were straight from college. Most interesting was how he ordered a sandwich at the cafeteria. When asked what he would like, he always said, surprise me. I could never have ordered like that. I later learned his business card listed his title as software alchemist, back when you could make up your job title and mine said computer scientist, since I was convinced I would eventually go back to graduate school. A New Yorker, Jody Green joined Microsoft early on. It was immediately apparent that she was a manager because at lunch, she was always asking other members of the team about their bugs and progress. She was another graduate of Brown. It was common for graduates of the same school to find each other at Microsoft, even if they weren't classmates or working on the same project, because alma mater recruiting was something developers did, mostly because they knew the department, classes, and professors. I would soon be making recruiting trips to Cornell. To help me with my review, Melissa, over lunch, talked about the new mantra at Microsoft called Zero Defects. We would continue this discussion over a long thread, as was too common at Microsoft. Zero Defects was a memo that was circulated by the leading development managers, the most senior engineering managers in apps and languages. 
It was an effort to attempt to get a handle on product death marches and ever-increasing bug counts that were contributing to a broadening view of inevitability of late products as products became more complex. The following is an excerpt from this memo. I wanted to read it because it's a very important memo for the history of Microsoft apps. Two, applications, developers, and testers. From Chris Mason. Email Chris M. Date, June 20, 1989. Subject, zero defects code. Carbon copy, Mike Maples, Steve Ballmer, applications business unit managers, and department heads. Zero defects. On May 12th and 13th, the application development managers held a retreat with some of their project leads, Mike Maples, and other representative applications and languages. My discussion group investigated techniques for writing code with no defects. This memo describes the conclusions which we reached. Zero defects code is the holy grail of programming. We are not suggesting that this phantasm is attainable on the first try, but we think we know how to get there. There is a crucial need to do this. In OBU, that's the office business unit or home of Microsoft Word, for example, Mac and PC Word were very late, and WinWord continues to be late, in each case because we had many more bugs than we anticipated. Large numbers of bugs at the end of a project make scheduling impossible for project leads and life unbearable for programmers and testers. Zero defects has actually been achieved on software projects. It is not an impossible goal. Zero defects must be the new performance standard for development. A defect occurs when something that is labeled done does not conform to the requirements. We need to understand our methods and strive to improve them in order to prevent defects from happening or recover from them if they do happen. You'll be able to measure your success by the reduced time from code complete to shipping. You can improve the quality of your code, and if you do, the rewards for yourself and for Microsoft will be immense. The hardest part is to decide that you want to write perfect code. A key underlying argument put forth was that we were rewarding developers for checking in new code and declaring a feature done, even if it was not. Testers then found a lot of basic bugs. That meant they were preventing more interesting testing from taking place, and that more code to fix bugs was quickly written delaying the new work, and testers would continue to find even more bugs. In any software project, adding or changing code had a good chance of introducing a bug approximately 10% of the time, a number floating around in academic circles for decades, whether it was fixing one line of code or adding a new capabilities. The cycle of trying to complete a feature by finding bugs could never really end. This was called infinite bugs and was plaguing the development of Omega, Microsoft's first Windows database, and to some degree, Opus, Microsoft's first Windows word processor, which began in 1984, but did not RTM until 1989. RTM, released to manufacturing, was a phase, phrase heard constantly. Everything was about getting to RTM. RTM was the ultimate goal. RTM was shipping. For the first decade or so of Microsoft, RTM literally meant to a factory, a Canyon Park, Washington facility about 10 miles north of Redmond, where there was a shrink-wrap assembly line of boxes, manuals, and floppy disks. At the end of every product, at RTM, teams took a trip to Canyon Park and watched the first boxes roll off the line. We might have made software, but we shipped it in boxes to retail stores. The specification for Opus from Bill G. famously was, build the best word processor ever, and finished by October 1985 to align with the release of Windows. This was likely the first edict for apps to align with a system schedule, a topic that emerged again and again. It was also as likely as two golf balls colliding in midair. 
Zero Defects was probably the most profound engineering document I had ever read, and yet it was also common sense and blindingly simple. I remember one sentence well. The hardest part is to decide you want to write perfect code. This is an impactful memo, in part because it was my first exposure to the collision between the idealized world of hacking and the pragmatic world of engineering products for millions. It was so practical and made so much sense, yet it was such a dramatic change from the hacker ethos that, most, that the most and fastest code wins. It might sound over the top to call a single memo that is literally about how to code without bugs as something profound. Certainly for me, it was profound because it was the first business memo I read that was also about why we are doing what we're doing, not just how. In a broader context, however, the memo was about the novel enterprise that was Microsoft at the time. Apps was building software for millions of people that were not trained in, in computers or computing professionals. That was new for everyone. This memo was a realization that the company was at a crossroads and the old way, the way of hackers and hobbyists was no longer acceptable. This memo also marked a change in the entire apps division, now numbering hundreds of people, with two big projects that were late and buggy, Omega and Opus, and several other challenging projects, such as the recall of, Microsoft, of Macintosh Word for quality issues, apps needed to do something different. No other company was building software at scale across so many categories and so many different platforms as Microsoft Apps was doing. While all this was going on, Excel version 3 for both Windows and Macintosh was under development and would soon ship merely 11 days late and with rock-solid quality, a feat that would not be bested for a decade or more. From my vantage point, Zero Defects marked the start of Apps culture of shipping a culture that included an organization structure to scale development teams, a process to plan and schedule products, techniques to maintain engineering throughput, along with methods for ascertaining quality through the entire development schedule. Excel 3.0 would be proof that projects could be on time and have superb quality. Apps would iterate and hone this process for years to come, but it is neat to have a sense for when it all began. This is somewhat hindsight, the memo would have been more profound to me if I had ever experienced a death march and or worked on a project that was large and complex that shipped. I had no experience shipping a product, so what did I know? As Melissa shared her perspective with me, I came to understand what ZD, as we called it, really meant. There was no system-wide integrity in an engineering sense, and that was the wrong people were writing too much code. Some developers wrote a lot of code to make it look like a feature worked. Even if all the boundary conditions weren't handled or if the code was fat, a Microsoft expression for verbose code that took too much memory or was too slow. A quick reminder, Paul A. and Bill, a., Bill G.'s original Microsoft Basic fit into four kilobytes of memory or about two pages of this book. Worse, those developers received high praise for getting so much done. System-wide, the schedule is used not as a tool to get work done, but more as a system to stretch goals without reflecting on the complexity and interdependence of the work of the team. Something Melissa said to me during one of our lunches and many emails on the subject resonated for decades and proved to be a cornerstone, not only for me, but how the, for how the entire apps division and later Office and then Windows operated. Her reading of Zero Defects and her own observation was that everyone should be focused on clearly communicating what work they did and be measured by achieving that, 
No games, no stretch goals, no race to check off things that were not yet done. No doing the minimum amount of work to make a feature demonstrable. Later, we came to call this Promise and Deliver. Another excerpt from the Zero Defects memo. The wrong people write too much code. Imagine a well-intentioned programmer who gets a feature done very quickly, as requested, with minimal unit testing and almost no system testing, marks it off on the schedule, and then starts on a new feature. Now imagine another programmer who also works quickly, but very carefully checks his assumptions, handles boundary cases, writes good test suites, and verifies all the cases, and then checks it off on the schedule. The first programmer gets to write more features than the second. The first programmer also gets to spend a lot of time, six months from now, working the bugs out of code he dimly remembers, while the second programmer will have little to do. This is exactly the reverse of ideal. Melissa also connected some dots for me and explained that the way groups were rewarding people who ultimately contributed more bugs than code was in practice rewarding some men and penalizing some women on the team. Teams that were small had very few women. There was no hiding that fact. Melissa's view that the women were routinely delivering code they said they would, when they said they would, and at the same time getting feedback about the need to do more. As potentially controversial as such a statement was, it was simple to demonstrate by looking through the schedules and at the RAID database. While Microsoft was just starting to appreciate how different developers worked, Melissa's explanation of ZD in the context of specific people and their approaches to work and rewards made everything far more concrete. The specifics Melissa shared became a rallying cry for me later in my career as manager, and I would often share what she taught me. Another excerpt from the Zero Defects Memo. Zero bugs every day. I mean this literally. Your goal should be to have a working, nearly shippable product every day. This doesn't mean that when you go home every night, you have removed all the bugs from work in progress. It simply means that when a programmer says a feature is complete, it is totally complete. All error and boundary cases work, all interactions with the rest of the product have been dealt with, test documentation or code to exercise the feature are checked in. Your project should have a state or directory from which anyone can create the current clean copy of the project. One way to handle this is to stage the check-in. Modules can be checked into a working directory for history and as insurance against hard drive failure, then checked into the clean directory when the feature is complete. Underlying the memo was the beginning of the idea of continuous quality. Every day, the product should be shippable and of high quality. Work that was not yet completed was not part of the checked in or completed code, but that code was kept in sync with the main product. This is something analogous to today's continuous integration and continuous delivery. And it took decades for Microsoft to achieve this level of engineering, which began in a moment of crisis and self-reflection. Although this seems obvious today, software projects were not typically run in this fashion, certainly not PC software. That's a long way of explaining that Melissa's answer for my performance review question was to make sure you put in that you will practice zero defects in everything you do. That was a bit cynical, but it worked for us and everyone. Those are performance reviews circa 1989. With those goals in hand, we spent the fall of 1989 and the winter of 1990 hacking away at ET++ and making it work on OS2 and Windows. Little sample programs like a calculator, they worked. 
Along with the way, we found a lot of bugs in the new version of the Microsoft C compiler, and we continued to test out the programs we created on Windows 3. Here's an excerpt talking about my goals. Quality. The coding I did in ADC was given good reviews by Dan. I put effort into working towards zero defects, even on the ADC side. I usually only needed two reviews for each phase of ADC, which Dan indicated was fewer than most. The concept of zero defects has been my guiding principle since I started programming, though I didn't have the catchy name for the process. I tend to use to code using paper for the first two or three passes in the hopes of getting the code correct the first or second try. In ADC, I did become more aware of generating complete test code, which will be part of any products I develop, though probably not part of a prototype. I put in a good deal of effort into writing maintainable, well-documented code. Again, this will be part of any work I do, including prototypes. That is what I wrote about zero defects in my performance memo. I really laid it on in the review. My guiding principle and all. You can see how I basically reverse engineered the zero defects memo into this review text. Good grief. In many ways, those early months were a second ADC or an ADC practicum. The opportunity to be on the ground floor of a new computer language was great. And the added challenge of trying to make it work on a bunch of operating systems that didn't work only added to the fun and also frustration. I guess I had not really considered that my job might be frustrating. It had not yet occurred to me how truly messy the company was. Nevertheless, experience this while waiting for other groups to finish so we could collaborate seemed better than any alternative. Once my performance reviews were complete and thinking about my friends shipping Windows 3.0, Word 1.0, and Excel 3.0, left me little doubt my project was busy work and it was dragging on. The post ends with an, another excerpt from the Zero Defects memo, which is learning together. This isn't the final word. If you find techniques that help you produce better quality code, please tell Dave Moore, Doug Clunder, or myself so we can make everyone aware of them. Then there's a graphic of a cockroach with an international circle slash sign around it. That became a bit of a meme across the company, and the no bug sign started to make its way around various forums, along with any number of small plastic toy bugs, stuffed bugs, fly swatters, and any other representation of bugs.